0: Welcome to Off The Cut, a podcast where we talk about building, making, and answering all of your questions. I'm Eric from Spenceley Design Co.
1: And I'm Zach from Zach Builds. If you have a question that you would like us to answer on air, you can send it to offthecutpodcast at gmail.com.
0: You can find both of us on YouTube, Instagram, and unfortunately, because we have to keep up with kids, you can find us on TikTok too. All
1: right, now let's get into the show. Good evening and damn i already
0: messed it up (laughs) we're gonna just keep rocking uh Uh, good evening no we're not doing it again no we're not editing this good evening everybody and welcome to off the cut episode eight which is respectfully dedicated to the food of the day lemon chiffon cake but i know up in canada today is better known as tuesday march 29th 2022
1: I never know what these food things are. I think I'm batting like three hundred at this point.
0: I'm assuming it's 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 gotta be a obviously a lemon cake.
1: I can see the fingers moving, everybody. That means that Eric is okay. currently googling it.
0: We're googling it's. <laughs> so the top question is, what's the difference between sponge cake and a chiffon cake?
1: Okay. okay. Chiffon
0: cake is a hybrid between sponge cake and a butter cake. Unlike most sponges, chiffon cake does not, I'm sorry, chiffon cake contains both baking powder and oil. Mm-hmm. However, like a sponge cake, chiffon cakes are built on a foundation of separated whipped, whipped egg whites and yolks. Okay. That's a mouthful.
1: You know what I have learned from doing this, uh, this intro system that we have? Is, Is it that-, that
0: we know nothing about food? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. I've really learned that it's like you keep saying all these things and it's like, yeah, I guess a more culture person might know that. But I definitely do not know any of these.
0: Well, you said you were you were a a fast food centric kind of person.
1: Yes, I am very. I just ate uh, a pepperoni pizza before we started this.
0: podcast. Was it pizza
1: pizza? No, it was. um, But similar level of quality. So some days I like to order a nice pizza and then other days I like to order what I call a gutter pizza. <laughs>
0: oh, okay, a gutter okay. pizza
1: is like the cheapest pizza you can possibly get you know it's not good but it's like it's got just the right amount of cheese and grease that it like it hits a certain spot
0: so that would be like like a like a papa john's or like pizza hut kind of pizza
1: i would even put i think papa john's is probably like a tier above the place i ordered from the place i ordered from for all the canadian listeners is called two for one uh oh i've had that Oh, you have okay. Yeah. So hilariously, two for one used to—you would literally get two pizzas every time you ordered one.
0: But okay,
1: at some point they were like, "This business model is insane, and we're losing money rapidly." So now it's just called two for one. But it, and you, you don't like you order singular pizzas; you don't get two pizzas every time you order now.
0: So how much does a large pie at this place run you?
1: Uh, okay. So, well, delivered to my front door. Okay. With with drinks and dipping sauce, it was uh, and tip. It was thirty bucks. Okay, that, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if I had gone to the restaurant, I'm sure it would have been $10, 12 bucks sure. for a large pizza.
0: Yeah, but then you, you, like you said, you got the drinks, you got the sauce, you got the delivery yeah. fee, you exactly. got you got to tip the driver, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think on the website, the the stated price was like sixteen bucks, and then by the time it got to me, it was double.
0: <laughs> you know. I actually, the for the first time, I think it was two weeks ago, um, I did DoorDash for the first time in my life. Oh, yeah. I don't get what the rage is. Like, yeah. it was crazy expensive. Yes. The food showed up. It was cold. Yes. And, like, we didn't even know that the food was there. I was, I, like, my friend was like, hey, you go check outside to see if the food showed up. And, like, it was just sitting on the doorstep. Like They don't even, like, knock on the door.
1: Dude, I've had this exact same conversation <laughs> with my girlfriend. My girlfriend, she she likes to order Uber Eats all the time. and I'll be the like, same
0: thing, same thing.
1: I'll be like, no, let's get in the car and go pick it up. Because somehow, yes. it always doubles in price, and it's always cold. The cold thing really bothers me more than the price, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it just shows up at your front door, and it's like, I guess it's because we're ordering in the wintertime. I don't know about DoorDash in uh, Columbus, but here in Toronto, they all ride bikes.
0: And uh, no, I think people are in cars.
1: In cars. I mean, cars is better because then it's in a heated environment. These guys arrive on bikes and they have to go across the city. And it's, you know, freezing cold outside, right? We you talking so,
0: bike-sickle or motorbike?
1: Bicycle. Oh. I've never actually seen a motorcycle uh, delivery person before. I think that would be maybe not a bad way to do it. At least you get there quicker.
0: So, like I said, it was my first time ever doing it. So... I know nothing about their their policies or procedures. Can you do you get like a, like can you like complain and get like a refund if your stuff's cold or is that just like part of the bargain?
1: I think they used to be really generous about it back in the day. I used to like whenever I had a problem, I would be like right on the, you know, like if somebody like messed something up or I didn't get part of my meal, I would immediately go into the app. and sure. like There'd be like a little troubleshooting thing or whatever. And they would almost always comp the meal. And at that point, it's like, oh. OK, well, it's hard to be angry if they're comping the meal. But now they seem to kind of taper off with that. I've had quite a few things where they like, you know, if they're missing an item, they will deduct the cost of the item from the meal, which obviously they should. Um, but they won't give me any other sort of you know, like, I, I'm sorry, kind of, you know, bonus thing or anything
0: like that. Not even in Canada, huh?
1: No, no. <laughs> well,
0: if it's they don't, a, if they it don't do it up American there, company. they definitely aren't doing it down here. <laughs> <laughs> so when you grew up, mm-hmm. did you guys, did you get a lot of delivery? Or like whenever you would eat out, did you always pick it up?
1: Uh, oof. We didn't do a lot of delivery or a lot of eating out when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, neither did we. Yeah. It was it was all like, hey, we're trying to save cash. We're always eating at home. Like for us, going out to dinner was like that was what you always got to do for your birthday. You always got to yes. pick where you went out to dinner. So it was like this big deal, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, sure, like we went, you know, went to McDonald's or whatever every once in a while, but it was a rarity that we ever went out to get food.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, very similar situation in my house. Uh, occasionally, we would we we would order pizza, pizza. Uh, like my dad would have like this like hockey party where we would have like a couple friends over to watch hockey. Like you know maybe once a month or something sure. like that. And that was uh, I w- I would I grew up looking forward to hockey because it also meant that my dad was going to order a pizza.
0: Yeah, the pizza <laughs> coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, uh, that was about the extent of my delivery as a as a kid.
0: Yeah, I've noticed my friends that do the delivery. So the, the guy I was hanging out with the other week where we did this, they growing up with him, they always delivered food. So it seems like the people who are really into the whole food delivery, it's almost yeah. like it's like a like a learned lifestyle thing. It's like something yeah. that they've grown up doing. Yeah. Whereas me, like I genuinely don't think I had ever done food delivery. Oh, really? No. Interesting. Definitely not DoorDash.
1: Yeah, my girlfriend's pretty big into it. She, I think she enjoys food a little bit more than I do. I'm very utilitarian with my eating habits. Yeah. Like, like I'm I'm happy to, you know, eat, like, uh, I don't know, like, leftover food from the day before. Like, I just need nourishment to keep going. But mm-hmm. she likes the experience a lot more. So she's more so, like... On like a friday night after we both had a hard uh, week at work she'll like want to order something to kind of like celebrate or something like that so i've kind of gotten accustomed to it through living with her but yeah it's, uh, it's not my first yeah it's not my first instinct
0: i guess like for me it would be like i think i, ha- I have both views i have the utilitarian view of like when i wake up in the morning i want to just get something quick that I can eat it's gonna be like keep me full and I can just like start doing my work yeah so like for me I'll just like make a bowl of oatmeal and like have a couple pieces of fruit and then you know like a glass of milk or something like that and then just start going lunch I usually like prep some stuff for a couple days so I just have leftovers just take out of like a like a Tupperware container toss in the microwave good to go but for dinner One of the things that we like to do is like, we like to try new recipes and like spend time with each other. So like, if we're going to make a recipe, it's going to take two hours to cook. Like, great. Like, it'll be a good thing for us to hang out and like talk about and just a new experience and stuff. But yeah, I think I get, I get both sides of that argument or Mm -hmm. you're, you're for the most part, always at that. I just got to eat now. Let's get some food.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impatient and I'm, I'm cheap by nature too. So yeah. I think the, the, when I see all those like delivery fees adding up, I'm like, Sophie, we aren't rich. Come on, let's, let's yeah. cut this out. Let's well, get it's things like control. you
0: buy something online, right? Yes. And it's like, you're like, you're going to buy a t-shirt or whatever. And I'm guilty of this with my drop shipping thing where it's like, okay, those, you know, t-shirts $24 or whatever. And then it's like, oh, eight $8 for shipping. I'd rather you just tell me it was a $30 shirt with free shipping.
1: Totally, but then you wouldn't be enticed to buy it. It's like a it's like a managing expectations thing, right? Yeah. It's like low entry, and then like you're committed to the purchase. You're like, oh, okay, well, I really want it now. Will I pay an extra eight dollars? Yes, yes, I will. Yeah. Um. So actually, funny story about that, and I, you probably don't have to experience this nearly as much as I do, but I was ordering some parts for. Actually, it happened to me twice today. I was ordering some parts for an upcoming project, and um, I ordered them. I paid the, like, extortionary shipping fee to get them delivered to my house. And then I get hit with a second fee. Which Duties. Is the- Duties. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just go ahead and give away one of my upcoming projects is I'm going to make my own custom keyboard for my, uh, for my computer. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So I ordered all the parts for that. And uh, by the way, uh, custom keyboard parts, not cheap. This keyboard that I'm building is going to run me, I think it was 250 American. So it was like, yeah. So it ended up being like three something Canadian. And then I get this email today from DHL and they're like, hey, by the way, we need another 60 bucks before we're going to deliver this. Oh, God. So I meant to like $400 for this keyboard. So (laughs) Everybody listening to this, you better watch the video when it comes out because it's got to pay for itself.
0: You got a sponsor on that bad boy? uh no <laughs> oh no this is one you got to keep in the hopper you just yeah you know like yeah. what i do with my videos just wait till you get a sponsor and just yeah totally. just keep holding on to it what you got to do yeah. is just get yourself one of these little these little paper thin mac keyboard guys I don't yeah know.
1: i know but it's a, it, it's gotta be a <laughs> style piece right
0: <laughs> well this is stylish it's like a it's like a yeah, quarter a inch mac- thick
1: that's true. That's true. This yeah. one's gonna be chunky. It's got uh, I got like a brass inlay to go between all the mm. keys and stuff like that. I'm gonna do a walnut case for it. So it'll be pretty cool,
0: I think. CNC action, I assume.
1: A little CNC action. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh what what you would call it? Uh Inventables are not they're not paying you for this one.
1: Um so for, not for I, the
0: video, I guess.
1: Not for the so I actually do have a deal with Inventables coming up. They are going to give me the new um, X-Carve Pro. So mm. I have the regular X-Carve right now, and they're going to give me the X-Carve Pro, which is like a $10,000 machine. But the deal is I have to do uh, four videos with it over the course of the year.
0: Which like I'm super not- hard salesy or just kind of like I integrated this into the project?
1: they were like, you can literally make whatever you want. Like there's like, there's no sales pitch to it whatsoever. The only thing that they wanted me to focus on is like, because it's a pro thing, they want me to like mention how you can use the machine in like a business application. So for like the keyboard thing, I'll be like, by the way, you could make these and then sell them.
0: It's like, Make a hundred of them, yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's cool, that's cool. I like like those sorts of brand integrations where it's just like, you're not artificially handicapping Yes. what I have to do I was in deep with this one CNC company I don't even I couldn't even tell you what it was called and I, I'm not just saying that because of the conversation I genuinely don't remember the name okay. but they were like yeah we'll give you one of these and it was more of kind of like an industrial CNC like more like the Xcarve Pro it was probably somewhere in the if I had to guess five to fifteen thousand dollar range so it's not an entry level one and they're like we want you to do ten dedicated videos like mm-hmm. how to set this machine up how to use this software and i was like guys first off that's crazy yeah. second no one is going to watch those videos yeah the only people who are going to watch those videos are people that have already bought this machine yeah so yeah, you're exactly. your marketing is is just doesn't make sense there yeah. and we couldn't reach an agreement but if you want to set me up with that Inventables, if you got a, if you got somebody sure, in there, for let sure. me know.
1: Yeah, I can, I can actually put you in touch with somebody. They might, they might be interested in working with you.
0: I'll trade you um, one one if you got one a uh, sponsor of mine. Let me oh, know. Yeah. I'll swap okay, you. Okay.
1: Okay. 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 Yeah, we'll figure something out off the air. So, Eric, I uh, followed your lead. I think yesterday you posted a story on Instagram asking for some questions. And uh I did the exact same thing because I figured, mm-hmm. why not? Let's get some more questions up on our list. So would you mind if I I was the oh, question reader this week?
0: I'd be honored.
1: Okay. So uh oh man, now I see the pain that you go through every week when you're trying you just to just go for things. it, yeah. Uh Aj, Aj, Aj Hammond. I like it. O J H A A A A M I N.
0: Is the Yeah, yeah, that's good.
1: So he wants to know if we're car guys,
0: car guys. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming this question is, do we like cars? Not do we own not do we own or utilize cars?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's right? so like, you know, like when you were a kid, did you have the, the you know the Lamborghini up on your wall in poster form?
0: Uh, so I think I, I think for me, I was in waves when I was. Let's call it elementary school. No interest in cars. Okay. I I thought that, um, like, car racing video games were fun. Yep. I had definitely, like, seen Fast and Furious and was like, oh, you know, these tricked-out cars is kind of neat. Yeah. But then in, like, middle school, I started hanging out with um, a friend of mine, uh, Wesley, and his dad actually, like, no joke, drove Formula One sick but i guess like it was like the amateur version of formula 1 so like he sure. wasn't like you know making millions and millions of dollars a year it was if i had to guess it was a side job at best okay okay, okay.
1: i know they have like formula 3 too there's like i don't oh, i don't know if it maybe. like if it starts at like formula 10 is like the amateur and then formula 1 is i don't know if it's like gradiated like that or how it works but i don't yeah. know yeah.
0: but so anyway because I was hanging out with with Wesley and his dad that was a, a car driver, we started kind of playing like those games like Forza and Gran Turismo and stuff like that. There were actually like more like simulator car games, right? Yeah. And he introduced me to the, the British version of Top Gear, mm-hmm. which if anybody watches that show, the American version is trash. The British version is the best. But so I really kind of like got into cars and like I was like, this is really fun. This is really cool. I appreciate everything about it. But now that I've like after college, when it's just become like, okay, you got to go buy a car. I'm just like, yeah, man, I'll just take the Civic. I'm good. (laughs) What about you?
1: I'm I'm a pretty big car guy. I've always I had, you know, kind of a similar path to you. I mean, I didn't have a friend who was like an F1 driver, but at a certain point. I got turned on to the British top gear mm-hmm. and I think that really kicked things up for me. I re- and I remember like a lot in college, I had a couple engineering friends who were like big, my one friend uh, worked for this company that made custom carbon fiber stuff. Oh. So, and that was like his like uh co-op placement in school or something like that. And he was working on like Aston Martins and stuff like that in his, uh, like for his like summer job. So me and him would like talk about cars and stuff like that a lot, but I, I legitimately really like cars and, uh, I, I kind of miss out on it cause I had to drive a truck every day. Yeah. So, yeah. So I always like, you know, I say I, if, if I didn't have to drive the truck, I would have like the smallest, like little two door car possible. Cause I'm just so sick of driving like a big, massive vehicle. So
0: I, I've been stuck in this predicament of I know within the next like two years or so, I'm going to get another car. Yeah. Not another car. I different car, car, I should say. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like part of me is just like, well, I'm dude, I'm fine with the civic. Like maybe I'll just get something like just a little bit more comfortable. Cause like, I'm I'm six, four, like squeezing in a civic is like not the most comfortable thing. So maybe get like an accord or like a camera or just something that size. But then I'm also like, Well, you know, once I start, once I have the house, like it'd be really nice to have the truck to be able to go and like pick up lumber and all that kind of stuff. But then I'm also thinking like, oh, but that's going to be a nightmare to drive all over the place. The gas mile, Well, basically anything outside of the civic is going to be a a downgrade in gas mileage.
1: Yeah. Especially these days. (laughs) It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. I'm just
0: like, am I going to utilize the truck enough? And I like, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. And yeah,
1: I mean, it's one of those things that once you have it, it's kind of hard. So I have a buddy who bought a house and he went and bought just like a beater truck. He bought like, you about know, like that a too four or five thousand dollar truck or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he just uses it for like all his home improvement projects. And then he yeah. has like a different car that he drives normally, which is, you know, maybe a luxury many people can't afford. But at the same time, like, you know, you think about the cost of gas and maybe it does work out to just be cheaper to get the beater
0: truck yeah and then you also have to factor factor in the insurance too mm-hmm. so i think it, it'd be an exercise and it's just like oh but now if i'm gonna buy like a beater truck like am i gonna run into more issues that end up you know True. i don't know you definitely have to weigh things out but
1: yeah yeah um and the other the other option, like if you're thinking about it, there are some like nice smaller pickup trucks now like the there's like the new ranger that's out yeah um, And then the Ford also made, like, an even smaller pickup truck.
0: The Maverick. Maverick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which is a hybrid, too, I think. So that's kind of interesting.
0: I Definitely, if I am going to get a pickup truck, it's going to be something in, like, the Ranger, Maverick, Tacoma range. Right? Yeah. So it doesn't have this, like, massive wheelbase. Because, you know, like, I'm not building, doing, like, construction. Like, you need a bigger truck. I don't. Yeah. And... It's definitely, if I get one, it'll be somewhere in that realm, but honestly, right now, the Civic's fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it gets the job done, then, you know, who cares?
0: (laughs) Oh, we're 20 minutes in, and I totally forgot. We got new patrons.
1: Yeah, we got to call out some names.
0: Yeah, so, new patrons. We got Sean Chappell.
1: Yeah, maybe Chappelle.
0: Interesting. I, said Chappelle.
1: You I, know, would have said, I would have said Chappell, too, looking at it.
0: Fun fact, Dave Chappelle, the comedian, lives not too far from me.
1: Oh, yeah. Did you ever, he had some like live, like outdoor comedy oh, shows. Oh, man. Do you ever go to any of those?
0: That is one of the hardest tickets to get.
1: Oh, that's so. Red.
0: And how it works is it? they usually announce it like a couple days beforehand. And they don't tell you – so it's called Chappelle – I think it's called Chappelle and Friends. They don't tell you who's going to be with him. Oh, So you have to get these tickets, and they're crazy expensive, right? Right. And they announce it like a couple days beforehand. And so they go almost instantly. Mm -hmm. But they'll have huge people. Like they'll have – like John Mayer, they'll have huge comedians that join them up there – Sometimes it's comedy. Sometimes it's musicians, and you have no idea what's going on. But it'd be so cool. It's like half hour away from me.
1: Oh, that's great! Yeah, you gotta try. I mean, it's those things like nobody has time to sit in front of the computer like refresh constantly, like waiting for the tickets to come online. But yeah.
0: But other patron, yeah, Scott, Aquilina.
1: Yeah, Aquilina.
0: Aquilina, yeah. And it appears that Scott is from Australia
1: Ooh, nice. because
0: on like the little patron thingy, the dollar sign has a U in front of it.
1: Interesting. Oh, yeah, you're right. Look at that.
0: So we got worldwide listeners, man.
1: Is he our first uh, our first non-American patron? Looks
0: I don't like know. Him. I didn't Come creep on, on people's addresses. <laughs> It probably didn't ask, but it, I know some of them it does. And the other Scott, our top tier, returning top tier patron, Scott Eastman. Yeah. Huge shout out to Scott Eastman as well.
1: Thank you, Scott. Much appreciated. I can't believe how quickly the uh, the patrons are accumulating. It's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, it's, it's getting there. I mean... Well, the patrons, so for anybody who doesn't know, patreon.com slash off the cut podcast, you get access to the after show, which historically has been longer than the main show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You also get priority answering to any questions that you have, get a shout out on the podcast and uh, certain tiers get merch. So if you would like to support what we're doing here, you know, consider checking out Patreon. No pressure, though. No pressure.
1: All right, I got another question. Are you ready for this one? Oh yeah. Uh this one is from Erica Kelsey. Mm. Yeah, or or maybe it's Eric A Kelsey. Either way, uh their question is, what is one woodworking skill that you have yet to acquire and would love to master?
0: Well, I think we kind of talked about this last week. No, did was we, it last we week we with about Chris?
1: Sp- yeah. Did we talk about specific materials? I thought we or I thought we talked about mediums versus skills
0: skills right yeah so mine and it's actually in my amazon cart but i haven't pressed pay which is uh you know a downfall Man. myself excuse me hand tools i bought myself oh, um those dmt we're not talking about the narcotic um <laughs> dmt sharpening system thingy that he was telling me about so i am going to try sharpening Sharpening. and using a chisel
1: yeah that's a good that's a good skill to have um i that's one that i could also give as the same answer although i'm not nearly as far down the road as you are because you're ready to buy it whereas i haven't even i don't even have it in my amazon cart so Mm. (laughs) Mm. um i'm trying to think what else i would want to learn i mean Yeah, there's so many more traditional techniques, but I don't have a strong desire to learn those. I mean, I think it'd be kind of neat, but at the same time, if there's a machine that'll do it for me faster, that's kind of where I always gravitate towards. One thing that I would love to get into is uh, 3D printing. Mm -hmm. I haven't done any of that yet. And apparently there are 3D, you can 3D print, like I'm doing air quotes for everybody at home right now. You can 3D print wood. Um, where I think it's kind of, what? it's a, yeah, it's like a plastic filament that has like wood fibers AD in it, or it's like, it kind of squirts a wood filler or something like that.
0: It's wo- so it says wood based filaments are typically a composite that combines combines a PLA based material with wood dust, cork, and other powdered wood derivatives.
1: Okay. Okay. Typically,
0: so like, the filament consists of 30% wood particles.
1: Okay. Huh. So there you go. So uh, that's one thing that I would love to try and do is a little bit of 3D printing of wood.
0: Hmm. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Oh, you know, I just realized part of the patron thing is priority access to some questions. So I want to get I want to get one patron question okay, yeah, up. Let's do it out of the way. This one is from Maker's Way. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> How do you guys get over the sound of your own voices on recordings?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I've this been is listening an to one. my
0: voice in videos and it sounds like I have a frog in my throat <laughs> while while my nose is plugged and I'm talking in a tunnel.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know if you've found this, Eric, but I've found that my Internal version of my own voice, and then what my voice actually sounds like yeah. in real life are slowly converging. And the more of myself that I listen to, like when I'm video editing or when I'm like editing and putting together these podcasts, it, it it's not nearly as jarring for me as it was when I first started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced the same thing?
0: No, I've I've definitely experienced the same thing. One of the things that I, I guess I didn't notice. As much until i started recording myself is that my voice tends to fluctuate a lot like yeah. i'll have some sometimes i'm talking that my voice tends to be very like deep and monotone and other times where like my voice gets really high and almost like crackly yeah and like i've gotten called out by friends like if it were, we're at like a restaurant or whatever and like we're having a conversation and then like the waiter comes over and then now my voice sounds different it's like i'm not doing this intentionally like right <laughs> there my voice got like really high yeah. It's it, I don't know. It just kind of happens. And I think I think you I, think you sound different than you actually do.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean there's and uh, well, don't even get me started on all the different vocal ticks you'll start to look yeah. into once you start listening to yourself. Um, but yeah, I think that's I don't know. I think a certain degree of that is normal. Like you, depending on what situation you're in, your voice is gonna be a little different. If you're excited, it might raise up a little bit yeah. if you're super serious, and plus you put a camera in front of most people, everybody goes into like presentation mode where they're like, you know, I'm I'm talking from lower of my chest. I'm trying to like, even I'm doing it kind of now, like I'm trying to project my voice a little bit more. That's not really how I talk in normal conversation.
0: Yeah. One thing that reminded me of the what talking in a tunnel, frog, whatever the hell, whatever the hell they <laughs> yeah. Um, When I first started recording, like a voiceover or whatever i was sitting on the couch so i was like slouched over and then i would hold my mic basically against my chest and i know this is an audio only platform i would basically think of like you trying to talk with your chin touching your chest right so you're you're closing your vocal cords and it's gonna face it closing your vocal cords that's not a thing (laughs) you're like artificially (laughs) collapsing your throat making it difficult to talk and I noticed in all the recordings, I almost sounded like I was, like, out of breath or, like, exhausted while I was talking. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, I found when I first started recording voiceovers for my video, I would set the mic up really high and then I would stand because I found I could, like, project and emote more when I was standing versus when I was sitting. Yeah. So it kind of made the voiceover, like, feel a little bit more emotional and interesting maybe.
0: Yeah. So I think that's, that's one tip is setting up your microphone in an appropriate spot. Totally. So you have yours on a boom arm that is while we're doing the podcast, it's basically hanging (laughs) over your screen, but you, you move it to a different spot. Like when you do your voiceovers for your YouTube videos, you actually stand, right?
1: Yes. Most of the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, it's I can like literally just oh uh, I just grab the mic and now I'm worried that it's gonna like make a, a noise on the, the podcast. But usually, what I do is I just grab it and I lift it up two feet. I stand up, record my what I whatever I got to say, and then I sit back down in the chair and continue editing.
0: Okay, okay,
1: yeah, that's my system.
0: My setup, is, as you can see, Zach, and nobody yeah. at home can see this. I have a tripod that I use a woodworking clamp and I clamp my microphone to a tripod. And so it's basically at like eye level, mouth level. And it's just a couple inches away from me because I'm in an apartment. So there's always obnoxious noises going on. So the closer I can get to my mic and then I just dial down the sensitivity, like way down, it's at like 15%, but it's like a couple inches away from my mouth. So it doesn't pick up a bunch of stuff in the background.
1: (laughs) When I record with my mic, I have it at the lowest possible. Like, it's at zero, essentially. I don't even know Mm -hmm. how it's still actually picking anything up, but it is.
0: Which makes me wonder, like, what in the world are those, like, super high-level sensitivities for?
1: I don't know. That's a great question. Like, I've never had any need to be above, like, 30%. Like, even if I was on the other side of the room, I think 30 would be tons.
0: And both of us have voice mics like m- this isn't like a shotgun mic that I, you know, like toss on a camera. You're trying to get like crazy details. These are specifically made for voice.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know why you would ever need those upper ranges.
0: Hmm. But it's there. Yeah, whatever. All right. Hit <laughs> me with another question.
1: Oh, OK. Let me get another Instagram question up here. Um. OK, well. This one's kind of an interesting question. So this is from uh, Guyish, Guyish60 on Instagram. He wants to know, how do you know what type of wood to use for a project?
0: Mm. Mm. Like,
1: you know, if uh, if you're going to make a table, like, do you make it out of pine? Do you make it out of maple? <laughs> I said pine just to troll you, by the oh, way.
0: Oh, I know. You're trying to get me fired <laughs> up. We've gone, down, we've gone down that rabbit hole. Um, well, first... If it's for so if it's for a client, the first thing I would do is I would say, what color do you want it? Okay. because I am in the camp and my friend Trip Southern would also be in the same camp with me. He actually coined this phrase. Wood stain is a lie. Yeah. If the customer wants something to be dark brown, you are going to be making it out of walnut. I am not going to use maple and then try to stain it to look like walnut because it will never look like walnut. Correct. (laughs) So
1: I, I, Oh, what was I doing? So, Oh, I was, I'm, uh, I'm actually in the middle of making a prop for a TV show, uh, for some friends of mine. And they were like, they want, what did they want? They wanted me to make, uh, this prop out of like two by four or, uh, spruce or pine and then they wanted me to stain it so that it looked like cherry or walnut i was like that is never going to work and it won't even like when you make things you can like make them for tv in such a way that you know if you shoot it from the right angle it looks like the right thing i was like there's no way this will ever look anything like walnut i'm going to use real walnut
0: I, i i would like to just chime in and say as the famous famous talent scout of our ages would say that's gonna be a no for me, dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, that, that's part of the reason why I I almost always refuse to do client work is like, because yeah. you. That's one of the first things is I want you to make it out of blank, which is whatever like wood buzzword they've heard recently. Yeah. But I want it to look like this, yeah. and you're like, these are opposite spectrums.
1: They really, you know, the the stain companies do a disservice to these people by calling their stains like walnut and cherry yeah. and stuff like that. What stains should be like? There's nothing wrong with staining a wood. Like you can use it to create interesting looks, but it just sure. won't ever look like another thing. It'll look like stained pine or yeah. stained maple. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I uh, just, you know, I get. So I guess to answer the question. You have to select the wood that the client wants. Yeah. After that, I think you have to look at what what implement are you creating? If it's something that's going to be outdoor, you need to get cedar. If it's a building structure, pressure treated, uh, pine. What's the other one? Sapelli? Uh, oh, yeah, one? yeah,
1: yeah. I don't actually know. I don't, I, I don't know how to say that word, but I, I know it when I see it written down. Is it sapele
0: or is it sapel? I capelli? say
1: I say in my head. Oh. But I've I've never heard anybody else say it, so I'm not confident that that's the I correct
0: believe it's Sapelli. But I okay. don't know. I don't okay. It doesn't matter. So if you had an outdoor project, you would need to obviously you'd be limited to those.
1: Mm-hmm. Or um, ePay. I love epay for
0: it. Oh yeah, ePay. Uh but if it's an indoor project, you can make it out of whatever you want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely Definitely considerations that go into it. Like, uh, you know, if you're making a table or something that's going to be used in like a high wear area, like obviously a harder wood is going to be better. Right. Um, So, you know, I would look at, you know, a maple as opposed to a pine. If if it's going to be a tabletop, that's going to get a lot of use or something like that. Right. So
0: other considerations, the budget, though.
1: Yes. Yeah. Very true. Very true. But there are sometimes there are pretty cheap. Uh, hardwoods, like, you know, there's the ash and stuff like that. I think we talked about that on the last episode. Like, you get ash for, like, next to nothing, and it's decently hard. Yeah. Certainly harder than, like, a pine, and probably looks a little bit better than pine, too.
0: I mean, who doesn't like a good piece of ash? (laughs) (laughs) I had to. That was a terrible joke, but I had had to. Um, Another cheap one,
1: poplar. Yeah, poplar's underrated. It's kind of green. I like it. I dig it.
0: You might say it's not very poplar.
1: <laughs> I actually use poplar a lot. When I, God. <laughs> Eric's cracking himself up. <laughs>
0: this one's going off the wheels. We got I an ass po- joke and a poplar joke.
1: I use poplar a lot for outdoor stuff that's going to get painted because poplar paints really oh, nicely. Yeah. It's super, super smooth when you sand it. So it's nice in that regard.
0: I know some people that actually, when they're prototyping projects... They'll buy poplar because it's crazy yep. cheap. However, it still has a lot of the characteristics and like integrity properties of like a walnut or a maple, but it's a lot yep. cheaper.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that kind of, I mean, I, you know, maybe I'll think about like open grain versus closed grain wood. Like sure. again, if it's going to be a table, you might want to make a closed grain thing. So it's not constantly picking up crud and stuff like that. So I got yeah. the burps from the soda water I'm drinking.
0: Well, or if it's a cutting board, like, yeah. Again, I'm not a, a cutting board enthusiast, but I would have to imagine you probably don't use oak in a cutting board.
1: Because yeah. it's just going to be soaking up all of your like meat juice or whatever you're cutting on
0: it. Right? right? Yeah. yeah. But All right. Hit me with another one.
1: Okay. All right. jeez, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Give me a oh, second sorry. here. Uh, no, no. It's okay. Uh, That's basically... Okay, uh, you probably actually know this because you just did this for your wood paneling. Uh, Luke Martin wants to know, scribing cabinets to uneven floors and walls. Mm. How do you know what to scribe first?
0: To uneven floors and walls. I'm assuming this is the, okay, like, you know, your floor is not perfectly 90 with the boards going across, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I you're, think- you're trying to put something perfectly level on a wall where the floor isn't isn't perfectly level. Like I'm, I'm thinking when you put your your boards in in your shop, like yeah. that last row along the floor, of you course. probably had to scribe and cut that whole line. Right. Correct.
0: Yeah. yeah so I for if, if anybody hasn't seen the video, basically, I start in the middle of the wall, Be- like middle of the wall. I'm saying like three feet up or something and then I go up and then I go down. But the thought process behind that was, I know that I can get these boards in the middle perfectly level, and then I can work my way up and down off of that. But I kind of measured it ahead of time to go, okay, I'm going to hit just about a full board once I get to the bottom, but I'm going to have to trim off maybe like an eighth or a half inch or something like that. So I thought about that ahead of time. But once I got once I got down to the bottom, I basically just measured, you know, the left most was four and a half inches. The right most was four and three quarters inches. So then I can mark that on the board. And I didn't show in the video, um, but you could just lay down a track saw. You could use a jigsaw. You could use a tapering jig on the table saw. And then I would describe it like that.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think what. One thing that is pretty key in that whole equation is thinking about how big the material you're working with is mm-hmm. and then knowing what the differential from one side of the wall is to the other. Right. Yeah. So basically what I'll usually do is I will find the uh, the like the lowest part of the floor where I'm going to need the biggest piece and I will set a full piece right there mm. and then I will work in the opposite direction so it gets smaller and smaller Mm. and that way i i know that i don't end up with like a little tiny piece yes you know what i mean you're you're taking you're uh removing material from full pieces instead of adding like a little tiny piece at the end that makes sense and you you
0: do need to have the wherewithal to understand what's going to happen once you get to the end of the project because you don't want to be like, you know, your board is, you know, three quarters of an inch from hitting the floor. And you're like, now I have to tr- try to scribe this minuscule piece. It's yes, going to look yeah. awkward as hell. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That's that's what you want to avoid. That's why I say p- find the spot where the gap is the biggest and try to set like that as one full piece. So, you know, everything else will be less than a full piece.
0: hmm. hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think of, I mean, if you haven't already invested in a laser level, that will save you so much time.
0: 100%. 100%. So, tangential to that, where do you stand on the red versus green laser for the laser level?
1: Dude, I got a green laser level, and I will never look at a red one again.
0: Uh Oh, I got the red, I think.
1: Yeah, Yeah. so, okay, so here's... I'm not sure if the actual color makes a difference. However, most companies treat the green laser as a premium product. So they might put a more powerful light or laser in it than the red ones. Um, The green is a little bit easier to see outside. I will for sure say that. Yeah, but I've just had I I went up. The laser level I have is like it's a Bosch one. Everybody always asks me, I think it's like six hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars. Like it's ridiculous, but I use it all the time and it has saved me so much time over the years. So I don't feel bad about spending that much on it. But it was pretty it was a tough bullet to buy. (laughs) Yes.
0: But so I I had to buy one for this project and i did a lot of like whenever i don't know anything about a product i always research it to make sure that like i really understand what i'm buying yeah it seems like the laser levels as far to go from like cheap to expensive you have like distance that it can shine so like the cheapest one will be like a 10 to 20 foot laser level where if you think if you think about that you're not getting much with that.
1: <laughs> no, no. And also, you know, if it says it does 20 feet, it doesn't. That last 20 feet is not going to be usable. Like no. it'll be so faint you can hardly see
0: it. So yours is probably at least a hundred. You're probably talking one to two hundred feet.
1: Uh, let me look it up, but I think it might even be more than that. It's pretty yeah. crazy. I've used it outside and some uh yeah, this one's is a two hundred foot sure. laser level
0: which is obviously a more premium one. And then you also get into yours is going to have a 360 laser. Yes, right? Yeah. And so basically what that means is if you put this laser level in the middle of a room, you're going to have a laser around the entire perimeter of the room.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of them are like 200 degree or you know Yeah, I think that's what mine is. Yeah. yeah. Which is it's serviceable. There's not a lot of situations where I've needed a full 360, but it's a nice to have feature.
0: Yeah, but I think I think it's something that somebody who's looking into a laser level should For understand sure. the differences of like yes. well, why are these ones substantially more expensive? Don't yes. they all just do the same thing? Mm-hmm. Well, no.
1: Yeah. Uh mine also has like all sorts of crazy, like you can hook it up to your phone and then it'll tell you if you need to calibrate it and all these oh, weird wow. features. It has a rechargeable battery, which is really, really nice because the old one that I had before this would shoot through batteries all the time and it, it took disposable batteries. So it's like constantly had to yeah. run out and buy a bunch of double A batteries. Yeah. So that's nice, too. Uh, a couple of things. things. Uh, usually the higher end ones will also come with their own like stands so that you can adjust them up and down without. A lot of time, what I'll do with the laser level is, you know, you'll put it on a surface and you'll be like, oh, I need it to be an inch higher. Then you go searching for like a piece of wood that you can put under it to raise it an inch, whereas the the high end ones come with like adjustable bases and stuff like that.
0: So, yeah, what I did, I did is I just slapped mine on an old tripod that I had and it seemed to work fine. And that's just going to be my dedicated laser level tripod.
1: That's a great way to do it. And yeah, pro tip for anybody at home, almost every laser level has the same threads in the bottom of it as your average like photography or videography tripod
0: put so like the three eighths inch knob uh, or something c- quarter inch they, knob
1: yeah they call it a quarter 20. i'm not quarter sure what 20, the tw- yeah what the 20 means but
0: yeah, i don't know it, but maybe
1: 20 millimeters i don't know
0: hit me with another question we still got time
1: oh yeah how are, oh yeah we got tons of time maybe mm-hmm. we'll do some uh maybe we'll do some more patreon questions too um mm-hmm. Oh, this is a great one that I wanted to get your take on. Uh, somebody actually tried to troll me on TikTok Perfect. about this.
0: Nice. It nice. Says uh,
1: the Andrew 3000 wants to know, does a CNC still count as woodworking? What? Why the hell not? <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That was so when I got trolled on TikTok and I mean, you know, I I barely even registered on the emotional scale. But the guy said, uh, he was like, this project is really cool, but unfortunately, since you made it with a CNC, it doesn't count as real woodworking. And let's
0: see. (laughs) What what would you say is the, 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 the end all be all of dictionaries Webster.
1: Yeah. Webster. Okay. Webster. That would be my go to
0: dictionary. Woodworking.
1: I bet the definition of woodworking is going to be working with wood.
0: Uh, definition of woodworking, the act, process, or occupation of working wood into a useful or desired form. Boom. Okay. Question answered. CNC is woodworking.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, largely, I wanted to talk about this because I, and I think you're the same way. I don't care much for gatekeeping. Like No. I don't like when people say, oh, this is a real X, Y, or Z. So yeah, I mean, of course, of course, I think w- working with a CNC is a form of woodworking. It's like computer aided woodworking, but it's still yeah. woodworking.
0: I'm a misconception people have with CNC is, is, that you just, and I'm giving air quotes, press enter, and then your yeah. project is done. If yeah. you ever use a CNC or any other, you know, like, computer aided machinery you know that is not the case no
1: I, I mean programming it is its own skill then you have you know well, there's setting up the machine there's also once it's done carving you still have a bunch of raw pieces that you have to yeah you know assemble like i'm trying to think of if there's anything you could just cut with a cnc where it'd be like okay now it's done like maybe you could make a cutting board
0: with a templates CNC.
1: yeah templates something like that but even then like if you're, t- yeah, I don't know. I think you're still going to be, like, polishing the edges and stuff like that. So I
0: got the little, though. like, tab thingies.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's always going to be processing that happens after it. It's just a great way to cut wood to the exact shape that you want with, yeah. like, a level of precision that would be hard to otherwise achieve.
0: I think that argument is... I feel like I go down a rabbit hole here. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that argument is the equivalent of somebody saying a circular saw isn't woodworking. You should be cutting it by hand.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: How is it any different?
1: I agree 100%. Yeah, it's uh, it's just variations on, you know, degrees of assistance, like technological assistance, right? Yeah. And even like. It, it, if you're going to make that argument that, oh, you should be cutting it with a hand saw, it's like, why wouldn't you be, you know, like a, a saw is just another piece of technology. It's just exactly. worse than a circular saw, right? So like, is real woodworking where you have to chew your way through each piece of wood with your teeth?
0: So what? I would challenge that person with like, you have you seen in like industrial applications on like table saw, they'll have like power feeders. So basically what people do is they they literally raise a board to the table saw and it has these like wheels that like push the board oh, through the table saw. So is I that not, not woodworking?
1: Yeah, great question, right? Like the, I mean, I don't know. You, it, you can gatekeep in infinite ways. It's something that I've learned from people, but. At the end yeah. of the day,
0: who cares?
1: Yeah, If you're yeah. having fun and you're making cool stuff, like good on you.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's the same argument of like people People like me, inferior people that use pocket holes, like people like, that's not woodworking. I'm like, yeah, it is. And then you have people like oh, you use a domino, that's not woodworking, right? Right? Or this is just a router, yeah, it's a specialized <laughs> router. But if I used a router, you would say it was okay,
1: maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are some people out there who would gatekeep you for using a router.
0: Oh, yeah, it's. <laughs> that I feel I feel like you summed it up well if you're if you are enjoying what you are doing yeah. that's all that matters
1: yeah. I mean a, a little bit of advice for anybody if if you ever encounter like a, a anybody gatekeeping in real life that's just a low self-esteem person yeah. like that's a person who's trying to find a weird way to put you down and bring themselves up and it, you don't need to pay attention to anything yeah. that
0: person says you are never going to change someone's opinion that is attacking you like that, especially yeah. not on the internet. <laughs>
1: yeah. And especially not on TikTok. <laughs>
0: no, you are wasting your time. Just move yes. on with your day yeah. and you will feel better.
1: Yeah. All right, Eric. I think we might have time for one more patron question.
0: Oh, you want a patron question?
1: Yeah, let's get let's do some of the patron question because there were some good ones that I saw up
0: there. Okay, okay. So this is from Scott Eastman. Shout out Scotty. Scott Eastman. Returning top tier patron. So give me a minute. This is, this is a long one, but okay. I, it demands its, its background. Two okay. weeks okay. ago, I was working on a project and realized when it comes to finishing the project, I don't know very much about the proper steps to finishing a project. Some questions I was wondering about why only sand to 220? Why not just go all the way up to 600? What things am I looking for when I start sanding a project? What should i look for when applying finishes to what what should i look for when applying my finishes to go i missed a spot i realized i went all in on how to build projects but haven't taken the time to learn good techniques for finishing my projects
1: okay okay so i think this is a great question and i'm, I'm super glad mm-hmm. you picked it because when i saw it i was like oh yeah this is one that we should talk about on air so uh, I don't think a lot of people know this, but depending on what finish you're using, you should sand to a different grit. Yes. Like, And usually it says somewhere on the can or whatever the, the vessel that the finish comes in, mm-hmm. there will be a recommended grit to sand to because sur- some finishes need like a little bit of roughness on the wood in order to properly adhere to it. So some will say, you know, sand to 180 and then that's it. And then then apply the finish. And then other ones will say you know a, a sand to 600. So I would highly recommend that everybody check out the recommended grit for the particular product they're using.
0: 100% I could not agree with that more. Um uh, what, what, why only sand up to 220? So why only sand up to 220 like you said Zach? Some finishes once you sand the wood down what you're basically doing is you're pushing all those fibers down. And if you push them down far enough into the wood and just make that surface super, super, super smooth, your finish has no ability to mechanically bond to the surface if you make it glass smooth. Yeah. So I think the easiest way to visualize that, and this is going way over out of proportion, take something like in, like if you go to a bar, they're coated, the bar tops are coated in epoxy. That is is a very, very polished surface. So you can understand that stuff isn't not going to stick to that very well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's basically how your wood is acting, but on like a more microscopic level.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, here, here, I think I have a a better example. Your example was good, but I was just thinking of my own while I was there. Imagine you had a can of spray paint. Mm -hmm. You spray that paint on a piece of glass Mm. versus on your carpet. Which one's going to be easier to scrape off?
0: Well played. (laughs) <laughs> well played okay so that's why you don't that's why you sand up to 220 ish or whatever and you don't go to yeah. 600 or whatever
1: and sorry to to uh interject one Ooh. last thing i think 220 is just a good kind of happy middle ground between sure. feels smooth to your hand and still has a little bit of roughness so that the finish can mechanically adhere to
0: it hot tip i usually use like a hard wax oil like you know like rubio or something like that Mm-hmm. They tell you to typically only sand to like 150 or 180, and you're probably thinking, "Whoa, that's way too low." I sand up to 220 to get it buttery smooth, and then I come back, hand sand it at like oh. 150 or 180, oh. just real light, just to open those pores back up again.
1: Yeah. I like that. I like that.
0: It works I well. Have to remember that. Um, uh,
1: so, what was the the next component of that question? How to know when you've maybe missed a spot?
0: Yeah. What things am I looking for when I start finish sanding a project?
1: Uh, I mean, OK, well, before you start finishing, I would do, you know, like there's obviously the part of sanding where you're just trying to get all your surfaces smooth. So if it's like yeah. a glued up surface, you're trying to get all your pieces flush with each other. Right. You mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to feel any uh, transitions between pieces or anything yes. like that. Um, so I would try and take care of that, all of that with, you know, like 80 or 60 grit sandpaper before I started moving up into the higher ranges.
0: Yeah. And I'm Uh, glad that you said that because I think at least I know I did this and I think a lot of other people are guilty. You look at sandpaper grits and you're like "Ah, 60 or 80. I don't think I need to start there. That seems really rough. You're wasting your time. If you, if you. You know, you have something you need to sand down or whatever. And you like put like 120, 220 on your sander. You're going to be there forever.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the 60 and 80 stuff like that, it cuts so much quicker. So like there is a reason that it exists, obviously, right? Like you want to use that for the first couple passes and then you start graduating onto it. Um, I was watching this. I think it was Cam from Blacktail. Uh, I was watching one of his videos recently, mm. and he was saying how important it is to hit all the grits, like not to skip any. Yeah. So don't go like 80 and then go 160. Do 80 and then do 120 and then do 160. Yeah. And then, yeah.
0: It seems like it's going to take you more time, but yeah. it's actually faster.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Seems counterintuitive, though.
1: well i mean you're swapping things more often but it's i don't know i find if you skip the um if you skip grits a lot of the time you end up with a lot more swirl marks you end up with these like i don't know these depressions that aren't these areas of whatever you're sanding that aren't i I don't know to the they're not sanded all the way if Mm -hmm. you will like you end up with little rough patches and stuff like that on your table
0: one another pro tip when you swap out grits um take your vacuum just real quick Mm -hmm. vacuum the velcro pad on your sander because you'll often get just like little pieces of wood in there that will it doesn't seem like a big deal but your sander now effectively has this one like impression point coming out of it so it's going to start gouging your table Mm -hmm. Um, um
1: If there's one thing I would say, like one upgrade you can make to basically any sander, it's throw a shop vac on it, throw some sort of dust extraction while you're using it. One, it will be way better for your health because it's going to suck up all that dust so you're not breathing it in. Even if you're wearing a mask, it's still going to be better for you. But two, uh, it's going to make your sandpaper perform better and last longer. Because mm-hmm. you are clearing away the dust that would normally get caught in it, that would make it not function as well, or it could potentially give you a bunch of swirl marks on
0: your. Table. Yeah, and by moving air through it, you're reducing heat, and heat is the enemy of sharpness. Yep, I feel like that seems like it'd be a t-shirt worthy.
1: <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Patreon merch? You thinking?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I think the la- so the last. Uh, part of that question question is what should I look for when applying my finishes, I guess, to kind of prevent those whoops, I missed a spot moments.
1: Uh, it's tricky. It really depends on what finish are we talking about finish? Are we talking about, oops, I missed a spot sanding in preparation. I would
0: say finishes.
1: Okay just i mean i think the only way you can really do it is just by visually inspecting it right like yeah. you want to make sure that the finish looks even while it's going on and i think the thing that i found that helps the most for that is just having good bright light and mm-hmm. potentially even having a light that you can move around the table or whatever it is you're finishing in different ways like so you can you can hit the the surface of it from different angles with the light and that'll really help you to see I don't know any spots that you potentially missed.
0: Yeah. And I also, again, you said it was depending on the finish, but this is another selling point for, I know Zach, I'm trying to convert you into the oil finishes. This is another (laughs) selling point, man. Like, yeah, I could literally be building a, a dining room table. I could apply finish to half of the table. Yeah. Wait a month. Yeah and then go slap, finish on the other half of the table, and you would, be you would not be able to tell a difference.
1: Yeah, so this is what gets me about using the poly and stuff like that sometimes. Like, oh, by the nightmare. time I start from one end of the table to the other, like, by the time I get to the halfway point, the first quarter of the table is already starting to dry. So yeah. it's already looking different, and then I'm second-guessing myself. I'm like, oh, did I miss a spot over there, or is it just yeah. starting to dry really quickly?
0: Yeah. You so. sprayed your... Uh, Alien crop circle table, right? Yeah, yeah. I watched that video. Yeah. I watched that video. It was a good video. I liked it.
1: Thank you, man. It's uh, It's not doing very well. So we'll see. It's doing well in the metrics. Like it's got great watch duration. And it's got a pretty good click-through rate. But it's just not getting very many views for some reason. Um, But I was not happy with how that finish turned out. It's okay. But from certain angles, you can definitely see some imperfections.
0: You sprayed it. it with just like the, uh, the so, so store brand poly, right?
1: Yeah, uh, Min. I think yeah, it was a Minwax poly.
0: I didn't know if. Oh no, that wasn't the the finished brand that you don't work with anymore.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah,
0: I didn't know if you didn't <laughs> want to say that name.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. I'm, I'm fine to say Minwax. I've.
0: I don't think I've used that, dude. I've been on this because uh, I've been doing doing a bunch of shop projects for for Craig this summer for like this whole thing that they got going out. I've been using that total bolt halcyon stuff.
1: Yeah. Dude, you
0: told me about that. I love it.
1: Yeah. I can't get over the fact that it comes to that like weird like Tetra pack thing.
0: But here's the thing about it is you put it on the table, you give it like a massage. Oh, really? The little bag and it yeah. just shoots that finish all over the place in the bag and it perfectly stirs stirs it.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I mean, look, the I the Tetra pack is a way better way to get like pour out finish than a paint can. Like paint cans are horrible.
0: Yeah. And when a paint can, you pump that lid back on and you just use half of your paint. Well, now you have just this massive volume of air. Yeah. Inside the can. Yeah. Whereas, I know
1: paint cans are horrible. They don't yeah. work well.
0: Those <laughs> little, those little plastic bags, you can squeeze out the air and then it just has like a, a little cap on it. Yeah. Good to go.
1: If I could, if I could get that stuff locally, I would definitely give it a shot. I think for me in Canada, it would definitely have to be special order type of
0: thing shoot uh christy a message on instagram oh yeah okay sorry. they're they're i think these girls it's a team of like three girls i can only remember christy um they dude they're on instagram all day every day like they have you can ask them a question be like, hey, I'm doing this, this, and this. And they will literally like walk you through. They'll they like if you want, they will call you and walk you oh, through wow. like how to apply every single product. It's oh, insane. That's, awesome. that's
1: great. Okay. So. I will definitely try that. I've had a couple companies reach out to me recently with hard waxes. Uh, I think I said this on one of the previous podcasts, but one of the reps from Osmo has oh, yeah. offered to come to my shop and like give me a demo on how to like properly apply. To finish, so I, I'm definitely gonna try and schedule that. But I want to try out a few things and see what I end up liking the best.
0: I've I've used Osmo, but it I asked for like a sample, and it was like the size of like a bottle of nail polish. Right. So yeah. it would you know no this is not supposed to be disrespectful. I'm just saying that's that's the amount that they sent me and that I used. I liked it a lot. Okay. I just hadn't bought a whole can of it yet.
1: The thing that worries me about Osmo is that it's just one part. Whereas I kind of like the idea with like the Rubio and other hard waxes where there's the accelerant that you put in. that makes it dry a little bit quicker.
0: Now, allegedly, the only difference is that the hardener just makes the finish harden faster. Yes. But I think you're going to have to wait a long time for the one part finish to harden to the level that that hardener gets the stuff on there.
1: Right. And that's what I'm worried about. Cause I, one, I, I kind of value speed, right? Like I would love to be able to put a a finish on at the start of the day and then take the project home at the end of the day, or at least the next day, which I don't know that I would necessarily get that with a one part finish. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: I I feel like it's like a multi-day cure.
0: Yeah. The only problem sometimes with the two part finishes is that that, the can not the oil can but the the can that has the hardener in it Mm -hmm. if you don't get that lid seated perfectly on there or like clean the rim off of the lid that stuff will harden by itself exposed to air and it turns like i'm talking like rock hard like almost like epoxy hard Yeah, and then your cans ruined
1: i've seen what a lot of guys do is they use a syringe to pull
0: as opposed to pouring it
1: As opposed to pouring it that way, you keep that thread at the top or whatever you want to
0: call it. That's what I did too.
1: Yeah. And did you still have that issue?
0: Uh, No, I haven't had the issue. Okay. I I think Rubio actually came out with a new can design. It might be like a paint can, but it's like a a twisting action that's supposed to help eliminate that. I could be completely making this up, but I could have sworn (laughs) I heard something along those lines.
1: Uh, I will definitely look into that but yeah'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna try the Osmo out I'm gonna try a couple things out I won't do I won't go to the extent that John from Lincoln Street uh, did when he did like all the finishes at once but I'd like to get a sense and see what's out there a little bit
0: So it's funny that you mentioned John because he he had a question and oh. he but this I think he's trolling us because he probably asked I think he asked this right before I released our episode this morning mm-hmm. he said, Who's your favorite guest so far? <laughs> Come on, John. Don't put us in that spot. <laughs> don't put us in that spot. Well, you, you know he what? did plug our Patreon.
1: Oh, that's very nice of him. That's true. Oh, Kristen, plug our Patreon. Oh, interesting. Shame on him. Well, you know what? Maybe we should discuss this in the after show, seeing this might be a little bit of a spicy topic.
0: You know, I've also got something else I want to discuss in the after show. You know that TV show that I did? Yes. It went live.
1: Oh. <gasps> Okay. But well, that sounds like a perfect topic.
0: I don't want to spill any details here. So we'll talk about that and the after show. So if you guys enjoyed us talking to each other for the last hour and seven minutes, and you want even more lovely banter, you can go over to patreon.com slash off the cut podcast and get access to the after show priority, answering to all the questions, shout out to yourself. During a podcast or anyone, if you want us to shout somebody else out, like maybe your dog.
1: Oh, we'll do yeah, that too. that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do that for sure. I'm and just also- waiting
0: for somebody to sign up with some just ridiculous name. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. Now we probably gave people the idea and they're going to sign up under something we can't. The FCC won't let us, <laughs> let us put you- out there.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the FCC won't let us be. I thought you were going to start quoting Eminem.
0: Oh, man. I haven't listened to Eminem in a while. Yeah, neither have I. All right. Let's head over to the after show. I got to get another drink, but I will meet you at the after show. Everybody, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.
1: See you, everybody.